Section 4. Emotional Aspects of Cancer Alexa, Margarita, Lyria, and Elena are all survivors who have been meeting together in a support group for over a year. Some of them began to meet in the hospital clinic when they were receiving radiation treatment, and they have continued to meet. Rose has recently completed her treatment and just joined the group. You know, I was expecting to feel really relieved, happy, when I finished my cancer treatment. All during those long months of feeling sick, I just kept thinking about how good I would feel when I was all done with it. But when that day actually came, I was surprised. I didn't feel excited at all. Just the opposite. Now I feel kind of let down and sad. Rose, I know what you mean. I felt that way too, for a long time. Like, will the cancer come back if I'm not taking any medicine? For me, it was good to know that everybody at the clinic was watching out for me during my treatment. I felt so alone when I stopped going. I felt very confused by these mixed feelings. I have to thank everybody in this group for helping me through it. People who haven't been through it just don't get it sometimes. That's so true. You know what really bothers me? Some people at work are always complaining about all these little things, like traffic or the weather. And I'm thinking about cancer and all the people fighting it. Sometimes I just want to stand up and scream, Don't you know how lucky you are? What are you complaining about? At my job, all these young people have so much energy and are so slim. Here I am. I don't have energy to do much of anything. I can't seem to take off all the weight I put on with the medicines. I started meeting with my social worker for some counseling, and that has been a big help. What these group members are describing are actually very common emotional reactions of cancer survivors. Cancer has an impact on our lives in many ways, physically, emotionally, and socially. Some of the effects of the diagnosis or treatment are short-term, Others may continue for a long time. The emotional distress that cancer causes can take many forms. Anxiety, anger, depression, frustration are all quite common and can occur even after your treatment is over. In fact, researchers have found that about one-third of the people with a cancer diagnosis experience anxiety or depression serious enough to require professional help. Cancer specialists use a short questionnaire called a distress thermometer to help them measure the emotional impact of cancer on survivors. You can find a copy of this questionnaire in the resource booklet that comes with the Cancer Survival Toolbox. It is also available at www.canceradvocacy.org toolbox. If you continue to experience emotional distress from your cancer, it is very important to know that help is available and to go get the help you need. Cancer is difficult enough to deal with, but so is recovery after treatment. It's normal to need some help, even if you are a long-term survivor. As an oncology nurse, the emotion I usually talk about first with survivors is anxiety. Anxiety is a common reaction to both the diagnosis of cancer and also the end of treatment. The most basic form of anxiety is the feeling of fear. Fear can be important for self-preservation because it alerts us to danger and allows us to get ready to respond. Anxiety can focus your energy so that your body, mind, and spirit can react effectively to get you through the challenges you face. Many survivors find that they cope quite well. 
They can respond as needed during diagnosis and treatment and when they need to make decisions. Sometimes, however, for many different reasons, anxiety reactions can make it hard to relax and enjoy your health after your treatment ends. Mental health researchers still have not identified all of the factors that cause anxiety reactions, but some biological factors, such as changes in hormones, may be involved. The symptoms of fear and anxiety include a rapid heartbeat, shortness of breath, sweaty palms, agitation, or a sense of panic. Some of these effects may also be caused by certain kinds of medical treatments. For example, some medicines that are prescribed for respiratory or other conditions can cause feelings of agitation or restlessness that are similar to anxiety. It is also important to be aware that people who stop taking certain medications and other substances, like nicotine, can develop these symptoms too. Talk with your doctor if you experience these symptoms. Your doctor can assess your physical symptoms and can help you decide on the best way to manage them. Medical factors do not account for all anxiety symptoms that occur during or following cancer treatment. Therefore, your doctor may refer you to other members of the healthcare team who can talk with you about non-medical causes of anxiety and ways you can reduce or manage uncomfortable feelings. Some cancer support groups also address these issues. Some cancer survivors find themselves getting anxious about their annual medical checkups or tests. The fear that cancer can come back is common, even years after a diagnosis. This is very understandable, and there are many effective ways to deal with this anxiety. Having a roadmap to manage your care moving forward may help you deal with anxiety. With a follow-up care plan, you can work with your medical team to make sure you are being followed appropriately and know when to expect tests or screening. Journey Forward is a free program that can help you and your healthcare team create a written follow-up care plan to share with your primary care physician and or other doctors you may see. Information on this resource is listed in the resource booklet that comes with this program. Oncology nurses, social workers, and wellness programs are available to help assess your anxiety symptoms and teach you stress management techniques. You can learn most of these techniques, such as focused breathing, progressive muscle relaxation, and guided imagery in a few sessions. Some focused breathing and relaxation exercises are included later in this program. You can listen and practice them on your own to get an idea of how well these techniques can work for you. Other techniques, such as biofeedback training, yoga, and meditation, take more time to learn, but are effective in helping both survivors and caregivers take control of their anxiety symptoms. There are other people, too, such as clergy or certified massage therapists, who can also help you deal with spiritual or physical causes of anxiety. If you find that a single technique helps you control anxiety, but you still need more help, talk with your doctor about combining medicine, counseling, and relaxation training to get the added relief you need. Your health care provider can help you to find people and programs in your community that can help. All you usually need to do is ask, and they will respond. Now let's talk about depression. Most people have felt at least mildly depressed at some time in their lives. Depression is a common reaction to cancer in caregivers as well as survivors. As an oncology nurse, I often hear people say they're sad or feeling down or just have the blues. 
Some survivors feel isolated during or after treatment because they feel that other people don't really understand what they've been through. Survivors may feel angry about their situation. These feelings are a normal and expected reaction to the stress of having cancer. Cancer and its treatment can lower your self-esteem by affecting the way you lead your life or by changing the way your body looks and how you feel about these changes. Additionally, chemotherapy and some of the medicines used to treat side effects can also cause mood changes. These mood changes and feelings of depression usually get better as you get further away from your diagnosis and treatment. Sometimes, however, symptoms of depression may continue or go away only to come back and take you by surprise, even after you finish your cancer treatment. A less common disorder, which mental health specialists call major depression, involves difficulty concentrating, trouble sleeping, loss of appetite, and loss of pleasure in your usual activities. People with major depression may also have feelings of extreme sadness, guilt, and hopelessness. The good news is that there are many effective treatments for this kind of depression. Be sure to talk with your doctor about taking care of these feelings. Individual or family counseling can also be helpful. In counseling sessions, a trained mental health professional can listen to your concerns and help you identify new ways of thinking about and dealing with the stresses that may be causing your depression. Some survivors find that short-term use of antidepressant medication helps relieve their symptoms. Support groups are also an excellent resource, especially if they focus on longer-term survivor issues. They provide an opportunity to meet and talk with other survivors who understand what you are going through. These groups can give you suggestions and emotional support to help you get through tough times. If you're feeling depressed, don't wait to ask for help. Talk with a member of your health care team, and they can help you to find the right source of help for you. Another emotional concern for many cancer survivors is grief. You may be surprised that grief is included in this program for survivors of cancer. Many people think of grief only as a reaction to a death, but we can actually feel grief after any kind of loss. This is important because, as you know, there are many losses that can come with cancer. When they first heard their diagnosis of cancer, some survivors described feeling that they lost their sense of who they were as a healthy, well person. Other survivors react to the loss of hair or the fact that their cancer surgery changed their bodies and the way they feel about their bodies. The loss of a breast or other body parts and the loss of sexual drive that can follow certain surgeries are significant losses that can be emotionally painful. There's more to grief, as Linda, the social worker, can tell us. Many survivors have gotten so used to coping with lots of changes, big or small, that they don't allow themselves time to deal with the natural feelings of sadness or anger that accompany losses. Too often, people close to these survivors don't either. Often, friends and caregivers are trying so hard to say only positive things that they may not even want to think about anything negative. So, they may not recognize that survivors might be feeling angry or sad. You might even find yourself feeling that you can only think or say positive things. However, experts agree that it is helpful to let out your feelings of grief so that you can get past these feelings and start to enjoy the positive feelings and experiences in life again. Support groups, individual and family counseling sessions, and retreats all offer you ways to express your feelings. You can probably find a social worker or other mental health specialist nearby to help you. Most major cancer treatment centers have social workers who offer counseling services. If you live a distance away from your treatment center, your doctor may be able to refer you to a social worker in your local community. 
For some people, it's easier to write thoughts and feelings down on paper than to say them out loud. Many survivors have found that keeping a journal to write down their thoughts and feelings about loss or grief can be quite helpful. It's a very private way to let these feelings out. Reading about other survivors' experiences can also be helpful because they may have experienced the same thoughts and feelings that you have. There are many books, magazines, and websites written by and for survivors that can provide help. Some of these are listed in the resource booklet that comes with this program. Most important of all is allowing yourself to grieve when you have experienced loss. Making the effort to express your feelings and finding that other people support you is just as helpful in coping with loss and grief as it is in celebrating the gains and successes that are all a part of the cancer experience. You've already lived through cancer treatment with its many physical and emotional distresses. As you're learning now, survivorship can have its own share of challenges that can be distressing too. One lesson that many people say they have learned through cancer is the importance of asking for and accepting help. Many survivors, whose usual way of dealing with life situations is to work it out all by themselves, say that cancer taught them that they don't have to go it alone. This can be a difficult lesson to learn. Many of us have a hard time asking for help. However, just as it is crucial to see a doctor when you have a physical problem, it's crucial to get help from a mental health professional who understands when the emotional distress of cancer is affecting your well-being. Don't hesitate to ask for help if you or a member of your family are having problems. If you feel you need more support, have problems in family communication, or have financial worries that are causing you stress, talk with someone. There are so many effective treatments and strategies available to help improve the quality of life of survivors and their loved ones that there is no reason to be uncomfortable for one minute more. The next portion of this program is a brief demonstration of focused breathing and muscle relaxation exercises that you can try. As you may find, sometimes a few simple changes can make a big difference in how you feel. If you would like to find out more information about this and other techniques or programs like it, contact a social worker or nurse at your local hospital or check out the resources in the booklet that comes with this Cancer Survival Toolbox. Here's how Joan, an oncology nurse, helps survivors learn focused breathing and imagery exercises. Why not practice along? First, find a comfortable place to sit and relax. It's best to stretch out on a couch or bed. If you're sitting in a chair, you may be most comfortable stretching your legs out and crossing them at the ankles. Rest your hands comfortably on your lap or at your sides. To begin focused breathing, take a slow, deep breath. Then blow the air out gently through your lips. As you let the breath out, allow your body to settle in and let all your muscles relax. This is called a cleansing breath because it can help you start cleansing your body of stress. Next, allow your eyes to gently close. With your eyes closed, Focus your thoughts on a spot in the middle of your forehead. Now, breathe in slowly through your nose. Notice that the air feels cool. Let the cool air in. 
Now, as you blow the air out gently through your lips, notice it feels warmer. Imagine as you breathe in that the cool, clean air is bringing in replenishment. As you breathe out, imagine that you are letting out your stress. Focus on each breath. Notice that your chest rises as you let the cool air in, and notice how your chest relaxes as you breathe the air out. Continue to breathe in and out in this comfortable way. In your mind, scan your body for any areas of remaining stress. Imagine that the cool air is flowing right to those spots where there may still be some stress. Now, imagine that the flow of cool air releases that stress, so that as you breathe out, the stress flows right out of your body. Now, Joan will begin the progressive muscle relaxation. This exercise will take a couple of minutes. She will give you instructions to tighten various muscle groups around your body to feel the tension and then release the tension. If you feel discomfort in any muscle group, simply imagine yourself tensing and then relaxing the muscles instead of actually doing this. After your focused breathing exercises, stay in your relaxed position, starting with your feet. Curl your toes under to tighten the muscles in your feet. Feel the tension, hold it for the count of one, two, three, four, five. Now release, and just let the tension flow out through the bottoms of your feet. Now your calves. Tighten the muscles in your calves. Feel the tension and hold it for the count of one, two, three, four, five, now release, and just let the tension flow out through the bottoms of your feet. Now, the muscles in your thighs. Tighten the muscles, feel the tension, hold it for the count of one, two, three, four, five. Now release, and just let the tension flow out, down your legs and out through the bottoms of your feet. Now, the muscles in your pelvis and buttocks. Tighten the muscles, feel the tension, hold it for the count of one, two, three, four, five. Now release and just let the tension flow out. Now the muscles in your stomach and abdomen, feel the tension, hold it for the count of one, two, three, four, five. Now release and just let the tension flow out. Now your hands. Squeeze your hands into a fist. Feel the tension in your hands and your arms. Hold it for the count of one, two, three, four, five. Now release and just let the tension flow out through the palms of your hands. Now your shoulders. Squeeze your shoulders up toward your ears. Feel the tension. Hold it for the count of one, two, three, four, five. Now release and just let go of that tension. Now the muscles in your face. Squeeze your face muscles, tighten the muscles, feel the tension, hold it for the count of one, two, three, four, five. Now release and just let go of any remaining tension. Now just focus again on your breathing. Notice how relaxed your body feels as you allow it to be supported by the couch or the chair. As you breathe in, say, I am, 
and as you breathe out say relaxed again breathing in say I am and out say relaxed and when you are ready you can open your eyes slowly and continue on enjoying this feeling of being relaxed section 5 getting your house in order Kathy is a 42 year old woman she recently completed treatment for colorectal cancer that included surgery and chemotherapy she now has to return to her treatment center for follow-up every three months. Listen to her new experiences in cancer survivorship. Having cancer started me looking at life in a whole new way. Before cancer, I didn't really think about the possibility of dying. I'm young and things like that just don't happen to someone like me. Oh, I, I didn't think I would live forever but I sure did think I had plenty of time to take care of my will and other things like that. My husband and I would always say, yeah, we need to do that, but put it off another day. The change Kathy is describing is very common among cancer survivors and people who have experienced a life-threatening event. Kathy now wants to get her house in order. I have three small children, a husband, elderly parents, they all depend on me. I work outside the home to help support our household. My husband and I want to see our children go to college and have some of the things in life that we didn't have. I don't want my family to suffer if something happens to me. My cancer diagnosis and treatment made this very clear to me. My husband and I realized that we needed information about what we had to do. The cancer center where I received my treatment had a series of workshops on estate planning. Some of the topics they covered were advanced health directives, making a will, power of attorney, financial planning, and life insurance. We went to a few of the workshops and got a lot of good information that helped us start our planning. Now that we've started to take care of a lot of these things, I have a sense of freedom that my family will be taken care of even if I'm not here. This really took a load off my mind. I can relax a little more now. Kathy and her husband realized that they needed to plan for their personal futures now that they've taken care of their financial future. They learned that one way to plan for your personal future is through the use of advanced health directives. Advanced health directives are legal documents that you sign to instruct your family and doctors about what your choices for future medical care would be in situations where you would not be able to speak for yourself. One of the most important choices is about stopping, or not even starting, life-saving or life-sustaining treatments in the event of a health crisis. Every state has laws recognizing advanced health directives. The two most recognized types of advanced health directives are a durable power of attorney for health care and a living will. The durable power of attorney for health care lets you name someone who knows your wishes and can speak for you if you become unable to do so. In this situation, this person becomes your agent and will have the legal right to make health care decisions for you. Your agent can be any adult, like a family member or a close friend. He or she does not have to be a lawyer. You may write down in the durable power of attorney the types of medical care you would wish to have. 
the more specific you are, the more likely you will receive the care you want. You can get a form for an advanced health directive in many places, like the treatment center you've been going to, bookstores, or on the Internet. Power of Attorney is a document to authorize someone to make financial decisions for you. This is similar to the durable Power of Attorney we just discussed. When you give a Power of Attorney to someone, you permit that person to manage your finances. You should talk with a lawyer for help in preparing the documents that will best express your wishes in regards to your financial matters. A second form of advanced health directive, a living will, is a statement that tells your physician and family that you do not want your life prolonged by medical procedures if you are near death without any chance for recovery. Living wills are not considered as effective as a durable power of attorney. That's because a piece of paper is less able than an agent to serve as your advocate and ensure that your wishes are carried out. A will is a written document that spells out your wishes for taking care of your responsibilities after you die. For example, a will usually explains how you would like your property to be distributed. It also names a legal guardian, the person you want to take care of your children who are still minors, and names an executor, the person who sees that the instructions in your will are followed. Each state has laws that list the requirements that a will must meet in order to be valid. It is important that you know what these requirements are. A lawyer can be very helpful in this. If you feel that you cannot afford a lawyer, many states have legal aid agencies that can help answer your questions. Your cancer center or hospital social worker can help you contact a legal aid society or you may be able to talk with someone at your local community center about this. A will can distribute money you plan to leave for your heirs in the form of a trust. A trust is a financial relationship in which one party holds title to property for the benefit of another party. There are many kinds of trusts, depending upon the goals and purposes to be accomplished. Trust may legally protect your assets, but they can be very complex. You should talk with a lawyer to help determine if a trust is best for you and to draw up a trust if you decide to do that. Kathy and her husband also had to take care of some other financial issues during Kathy's treatment phase. I was very sick for a while, so sick that I had to stop working. I took a medical leave from work. At first, I took all of my sick time and vacation time, after that, I was able to go on disability. My husband had to take about three months off from his job to take care of me and our children. He was able to get that much time off because of what is called the Family and Medical Leave Act. This act means that your job is safe while you're off from work because of emergency reasons. But you don't get paid. Money got very tight for us. We used to rely on my income to pay for private schools for our kids and to help with care for my elderly parents. But now we needed help. The social worker at my cancer center told us about some possible sources of extra money for us. We talked with a financial counselor for additional advice. The financial counselor suggested that we look at some other options. She said we could use our life insurance plan to get some money to pay for expenses during treatment. 
She also told us about companies called viaticals that will either buy your life insurance policy from you and give you money right away, or base a loan on your life insurance policy. We met with people from a couple of these companies so we would have a better idea of what they offer and what it would cost. I also had a small life insurance policy that we could use to tide us over during this really tough time. We found out that because of the Americans with Disabilities Act passed in 1990, we could not be denied a loan or other financial service just because of my cancer history. This meant that we didn't have to worry about being able to apply for a loan while I was sick. This all may seem like a lot to think about, but knowing that we had some options to choose from and that we could pick the ones that were best for us made me feel a lot more secure. For more information about financial concerns, you can listen to the Finding Ways to Pay for Care program in the Cancer Survival Toolbox. Let's hear from another survivor whose cancer diagnosis created a career challenge for her. Mary is 32 years old and has completed treatment for cancer that included surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy. Unlike Kathy, Mary does not have a spouse, children, or elderly parents to worry about, but she is facing major career issues that may affect her happiness and financial future. When I was first diagnosed with cancer, I'd been thinking about a major career change. I'm a graphic designer at a big design firm. I kind of fell into this line of work and found that I really love it, and I'm good at it. I was getting ready to make the decision to leave the firm, go back to school, and then start my own graphic design business. Everything was falling right into place for me. But with my cancer diagnosis, everything stopped. At the time, I thought that I would just be putting things on hold. But now, I just don't know. I found out that with my diagnosis, it's not easy to change health insurance. Private insurance is either nearly impossible to get, or it's so expensive that I couldn't afford to pay for the insurance while I took time off from working to go back to school. Even just trying to change jobs might be real hard to do now. Once they hear that you've been off from work with cancer, employers may wonder whether you'll be able to stay on the job after they hire you. I know I'm lucky just to have a job, especially one that I really enjoy, but I can't help feeling locked in and frustrated that I may have a hard time getting on with my career. Mary was able to get help through an organization called the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. This organization provided her with valuable information on how to avoid discrimination based on a cancer diagnosis. Some of the tips included, ask a job counselor for help with resume preparation and job interviewing skills. Apply only for jobs that you are able to do. If possible, look for jobs with state or local governments or large employers. Keep your legal rights in mind. Do not lie on a job or insurance application. When interviewing for a job, do not volunteer the information that you have or have had cancer unless it directly affects your qualifications for a job. During a job interview, do not ask about health insurance until after you have been given a job offer. If you have to explain a long period of unemployment during cancer treatment, explain it in a way that shows your illness is past, if possible, and that you are in good health and are expected to remain healthy. Keep the focus on your current ability to do the job in question. Other tips are available in the free booklet called Working It Out, Your Employment Rights as a Cancer Survivor. 
More information is also available in the Cancer Survival Toolbox resource booklet. Cancer survivors today have new state and federal laws that require employers to treat survivors based on their individual abilities and not on their cancer history. Survivors should be aware of their legal rights and be willing to advocate for fairness in the workplace. Having looked at all her options, Mary has returned to school. She was able to get some insurance through a school program and through the state's cancer insurance program. She feels that she has the information and tools to go out into the workplace after her schooling. And she knows how to avoid discrimination and hopefully live out her career dreams that will provide her with many years of fulfillment. Section 6. Living with Hope While Dealing with Uncertainty Ever since you were diagnosed with cancer, you may have found yourself living with the ever-present reminder of how insecure you feel about your future. From that first moment you are told that you have cancer, your immediate future becomes defined, at least in part, by the period of weeks or months between diagnostic tests and checkups. Even though survivors are living longer than ever before, it's not surprising that many feel that their futures are cast in a gray zone of uncertainty. But, to a certain extent, living with uncertainty is what all of us do as we go about our daily activities. You don't have to have a diagnosis of cancer or other life-threatening disease to feel uncertain about the future. The terrorist events of September 11, 2001, for example, made many of us feel less secure. Suddenly, we sensed that there is a degree of uncertainty about the future that wasn't there before that tragic day. Some people think of a diagnosis of cancer as its own form of biological terrorism. Like terrorism, cancer is an unexpected and dreadful intruder in the lives of many people. This includes the person who receives a cancer diagnosis as well as his or her family, friends, and colleagues. These situations can change your life and make you feel uncertain in ways that can be disturbing and confusing. These feelings can make you wonder if there is any satisfactory way to reduce your fear of death or cancer recurrence or of being stigmatized, that is, being thought of or treated differently by the people in your life just because of your cancer diagnosis. You may wonder if there is any way to overcome your feelings of sadness or loss. A diagnosis of cancer puts fears about an uncertain future and feelings of our lives being out of control squarely in front of us. Cancer knocks us off balance. One cancer survivor I work with said it this way, Cancer patients crave feeling normal and try to work the gray areas of living with uncertainty into daily living. It becomes normal, a new normal, to live with the stress of cancer survivorship. Cancer does not represent a single crisis in our lives, but a sequence of crises. For many survivors, this sequence begins with the first alert system that our bodies use to tell us that something has gone wrong. It might be a symptom that nags at us and tells us that something is just not right. It may take us a while to admit that there really could be something wrong, and it may take even longer for us to get around to going to see a doctor about it. For some people, the diagnosis takes some additional time for tests and more tests and draws out the uncertainty. For other people, the diagnosis can be made fairly quickly. In any case, actually getting the diagnosis of cancer starts a whole other sequence of crises. The crisis of decision-making about treatment, 
the crisis of surgery, radiation, and or chemotherapy, the crisis of dealing with changes in the way your body looks or functions, the crisis of ending treatment and wondering what may happen next, and the crisis of recurrence, if that is our destiny. With each crisis comes increased anxiety and fear. These fears and anxieties are a very basic part of being human. They are part of cancer survivorship. They can be managed and become the new normal that many survivors feel. Let's begin that process together. Along with the many uncertainties that go with a diagnosis of cancer, there are also many fears. I hear them daily from cancer survivors and their caregivers. The three fears I hear most often are the fear of death, the fear of cancer recurrence, and the fear of being stigmatized as being different by the people in your life because of your cancer diagnosis. Although a fear of dying is a very natural part of life for most people, we as a society do not deal with it naturally and honestly. Most people who receive a diagnosis of cancer, no matter how good their prognosis may be after treatment, feel the reality of their own mortality, perhaps for the first time. The reality becomes an immediate concern, not just something in the far-off future. We might think of the diagnosis as starting the clock that counts down our remaining days. For these reasons, it is very important to give voice not only to our fears about death and dying, but also to our hopes for what we would wish our process of dying would be if we were given a choice. Cancer survivor and author Arthur Frank captured these feelings well in his book At the Will of the Body when he wrote, the ultimate value of illness is that it teaches us the value of being alive. Illness, and ultimately death, remind us of living. Death is no enemy of life. Illness restores the sense of proportion that is lost when we take life for granted. To learn about value and proportion, we need to honor illness, and ultimately, to honor death. It is very important for survivors and people close to them to recognize how difficult it is to resume a positive, life-oriented, and future-focused outlook after experiencing the fear of death brought about by a cancer diagnosis. Getting to a place where you can honor our life and honor our death, as described by Arthur Frank, is a process that may begin with a diagnosis of cancer. For some people, that may take years. The secret is not how long it takes, but learning that healing can begin when we talk about it with others, a friend or loved one, another survivor, a healthcare professional, a spiritual leader, someone who can listen with an open heart to our fear of death and help us put it into perspective in our life. There are many wonderful resources available to people with cancer and their caregivers to help with this process. Those resources for additional reading are listed in the resource booklet that accompanies this program. The second fear that healthcare professionals hear about is the fear of cancer recurrence. It may be the most common and consistently felt emotion that people with cancer experience. This fear is felt with a mixture of anxiety and depression that may come and go over time. A woman I work with who is a breast cancer survivor described her fear of recurrence this way. Every time I go for a checkup, I get afraid that they might find something. I don't feel that way between checkups, but the fear of the cancer coming back must be somewhere in the back of my mind, and it bubbles up to the surface right before and during my checkups. 
My fear is probably less now than it used to be, but I keep expecting I'm not going to feel afraid because I don't feel that way on a day-to-day -day basis. It always surprises me that I do feel afraid. This sense of uncertainty can give rise to a range of reactions from mild worry and anger to panic and even thoughts of suicide. Many survivors find it somewhat comforting to know that the intensity of worrying about recurrence tends to fade the longer you go without symptoms that remind you of the initial diagnosis. The uncertainty that many survivors have about every little ache or pain goes away as their routine checkups show that these aches and pains are not related to the cancer. Some survivors adjust so well over time that they describe their feelings regarding a fear of recurrence as being like background music at a restaurant or in an elevator. They get used to living with it to the point where they hardly even notice it. If something happens to draw their attention to it, though, they may find that they become aware of the fear again, and it can become rather annoying and even worrisome. Being aware of when your anxious or worrisome thoughts are becoming overbearing is a key to making the adjustment to living with but not being overwhelmed by these nagging fears. If you feel that you would be uncomfortable discussing your fears about recurrence openly in a support group, or if you find that the passage of time and reassuring checkups are not enough to relieve your anxiety, you may want to arrange a few sessions with a social worker or other health professional who can assist you in resolving these feelings. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, it's good to know that there are many other options for getting support. You can find a list of organizations that offer direct services for how to deal with these emotions more privately through teleconferences and over the Internet in the resource booklet that accompanies this program. It's hard to imagine in this day and age, when people talk openly about almost anything, that there still exists a stigma around people who are diagnosed with cancer. A stigma, which literally means a mark on the body of disgrace or reproach, is as old as a disease itself. Many people may think of a diagnosis of heart disease or diabetes as bad news, but many people with cancer feel marked by the disease. This may be because cancer or cancer treatment can change the appearance of your body. You may feel marked by surgical scars, the loss of hair from chemotherapy, or the loss of body parts. The notion that cancer could, in some way, represent a defect or lessening of your identity and abilities does not go away easily. We live in a society that celebrates health and beauty. Those of us with scars or other signs of illness can feel like they're on the outside looking in. We must realize that many people still regard cancer as a death sentence and may in some way feel that people diagnosed with the disease are victims rather than survivors. Returning to the workplace presents another set of stigma issues to deal with. Many cancer survivors report being treated differently by employers and colleagues as well after their diagnosis and treatment. To lose the stigma of cancer, survivors have to make themselves visible to others who may be afraid to confront their own fears about cancer. At a time in your life when you want to be treated like everyone else, or more importantly, the same way as you were treated before you were diagnosed, the reality is that your life after cancer is different. Allowing other people to impose a stigma on you could confirm your own worst fears about having cancer. Keeping a positive attitude in the face of any such stigma is a challenge that survivors must confront head-on. With all this discussion about living with fear and uncertainty, the good news is that studies show that cancer survivors 
are among the most resilient people when it comes to their ability to recover emotionally and regain their optimism. And they can learn to be hopeful about the future. The distinction between optimism and hopefulness is an important one for survivors who are living with uncertainty and fear. Optimism emphasizes the positive aspects of any given situation. Hope, on the other hand, can be defined in many ways and is an essential experience of the human condition. It functions in different ways in families and across cultures, but universally, it is a way of feeling, a way of thinking, a way of behaving, and a way of relating to the people in your world. Hope is a necessary element for healthy coping that can help you avoid despair. Hope is also a reflection of the desire to make life under stress bearable. It is important to think about the ways in which you hope and to be direct with family, friends, and professional caregivers about what is most helpful to you. Never let anyone tell you that there is nothing further to hope for or that there is no hope. There is always something to hope for. You, as an individual, have the right to determine what you hope for and when and how you hope. Over many decades, cancer survivors have discussed their fears and their hopes, their feelings of anxiety and uncertainty. Cancer survivors have shared these emotions with each other in support groups, in waiting rooms, over the telephone, and now through listservs and other social networking sites on the internet. With few exceptions, they report that the act of openly acknowledging their fears is in itself a way of gaining a sense of control and maintaining a sense of hopefulness. Cancer survivor Ellen Stovall sees that the path to dealing with uncertainty begins with good communication between you and all the people from whom you seek support. With communication comes understanding and clarity. With understanding, fear diminishes. In the absence of fear, hope emerges. And in the presence of hope, anything is possible. This is the end of the Cancer Survival Toolbox program entitled Living Beyond Cancer. You may also want to listen to other Cancer Survival Toolbox programs such as Communicating, Making Decisions, or Negotiating. If you need more information about cancer survivorship issues, feel free to call the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship toll-free at 1-888-650-9127 or visit the NCCS website at www.canceradvocacy.org.